If you're able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord, Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 82, 1 through 8. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, son of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Our New Testament reading is from Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set on him, him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. You. you may be seated. Let's pray for the preaching and the hearing of God's word. Father, we're grateful to you for your word and that it is eternal and it's forever settled in heaven. Lord, our prayer is that you would settle it in our hearts as we consider what it is that you are saying and that you, O oh Lord, are pleased to bless the preaching of your word for the sake of your son, in whose name we pray, amen. 
The title of our sermon today is, And Who Is My Neighbor? And it's a, from the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's here in our text. And you know, this parable is a, a very familiar parable. It's well known, and, and it's been used to shape laws in, in a number of states. Many states have, have some form of the Good Samaritan law. For example, here in Delaware, the Good Samaritan law gives immunity to people who report alcohol or, or drug over, a drug overdose. And so if you, witness, if you witness an overdose, you can call 911, you can administer help to the person and without fear of being charged with a crime, you have immunity. And it also, it also applies to the use of defibrillators in emergencies. And if you recall that sitcom about nothing, Seinfeld, the series finale, it ended with the cast being locked up in jail. They were prosecuted under the Good Samaritan Law because they failed to help a victim of a, a carjacking. And you recall they were standing on the side of the street laughing at him. And they go to trial and they're found guilty of being bad humans. And so the parable of the Good Samaritan is well known, but it's often trivialized, as in the Seinfeld episode. The parable is familiar, but the context is overlooked. See, not many are, are familiar with the context, what led to this story. The parable is rich, but the question that the parable addresses, and who is my neighbor, didn't have the effect that the asker had hoped. This story has a lot to teach us about how a community breaks down and, and how a community can be healed. And what's at stake in the parable is the answer to questions of, of ultimate importance. How does one get approval from God? And how does a person gain eternal life? So this morning, I want us to, to think about this parable of Jesus with his idea, with this idea of being commuters who help other commuters make it in this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, thus answering the question, and who is my neighbor? So there's a couple of things that we must keep before us. One is that we are all, we are all neighbors, fellow commuters, on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And secondly, that it's, it, it is a violent commute, and it requires a mission of mercy. So the question, and the questions that we want to consider are these. What makes it a violent commute? Why the mission of mercy? And what difference does mercy make? So two thoughts we're keeping in mind, that we're all, we're all neighbors, we're all fellow commuters on the road to, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and, and, and that it's a violent commute and it requires a mission of mercy. And three questions to, to consider. What's, what's the, what makes it a violent commute? Why the mission of mercy? What difference does it make? So, this is, this, this is, this. so you'll hear this over and over again in the message. No. So there are three things that make this for a violent commute. Testing Jesus trusting yourself, and the tragedy of traveling alone. So the first thing is testing Jesus. See, the preface of the story that Luke records is one of, of Jesus' opponents trying to test him. He wants proof from Jesus. 
And Luke records why this is so in, verse, in chapter 7, verses 29 to 30, when he writes this. He says, when, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. You see, the trouble with testing Jesus is that you first reject the purpose of God for yourself. The law expert, he's, so they're not like, he's not like a lawyer. So the word, the word lawyer there doesn't mean that they're, they're trained in constitutional law. That's not what he's, that's not what he's talking about. But, they, but these, are, these, are, these are, are, are people who know the law of Moses. They know all the extra biblical, rabbinical rules of the Talmud. This is his profession his calling to know the law. And he wants, he wants to test Jesus. He wants to show that Jesus is disreputable. And so he calls him out, verse 25 of chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You see, this testing, it's not, it's not a private conversation, but it's a, a public confrontation. As he seeks, to test, he seeks to test Jesus in front of the crowds with a question about eternal life. He wants to know what are the rules to follow that will get me to everlasting life. And Jesus replies in verse 26 of, of chapter 10, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You see, Jesus, Jesus knows the law and the law expert thinks he knows the law. Look at verse 27. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. To which Jesus replied, And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Like, what? You see, don't you, don't you know that when you agree with your opponent, it almost always disarms them. And the man doesn't like it. See, testing Jesus makes for a violent commute. Why? Because testing Jesus is to say that he, Jesus, doesn't get to make the rules. That he, he's not the grand who says so. He's not the boss of me. Jesus shows himself to be the evaluator of the rules as if he's the one who gave them, which he did. So his approval of the man's, so his, his approval of the man's answer only makes the, the lawyer agitated. But what is Jesus saying to this law export? Does he, mean, does, he, does he mean to tell him that up till now he hasn't done this? Or... Does he mean to tell him that starting now, if he does these commands for the rest of his life, that he will have eternal life? Well, either way, it wasn't going to stop this man as he moves from testing Jesus to trusting himself. Look at verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, Testing Jesus leads to trusting yourself. You don't believe Jesus is legitimate, and so you trust yourself. It's the second thing that makes for a violent commute. See, he delights, that's what that word, he desire, that he's willing, 
that it means he delights, he takes pleasure in self-justification. He's, he's pleased to evaluate the rules according to himself and others like him. I approve of me. Have you ever heard that before? See, trusting yourself makes, the, makes for a violent commute when you delight in seeking self-justification. And there are others who might get in the way as, as, as they try to justify themselves too. See, self-justification is you're, you're, wanting, you're wanting someone to say, you're right. Or you're saying to yourself, I'm right. I'm good. I'm approved. And you approve of yourself. That's, that's what self-justification is. And, and we, we hate it when we see it in other people. You know, but for us, you know, well, I have reasons. You know, that's so, so, so in, in that self-justifying, you have to distance yourself. You have to distance yourself. See, and don't you hear in his self-justification a separation, a breakdown in community? You know, when he asks, and who is my neighbor? See, doesn't, doesn't it sound like he's, he's about to exclude some people or he's already excluded them? He should have known Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And see, that verse right there would limit it, would limit the scope to his own, to his own kind. But he should have also known Leviticus 19:34, which says, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You see, so, so there, it's not, just, it's not just your own kind, it's everybody. It's everyone. So the problem of self-justification is that it diminishes humanity to, by separating and segregating. You see, self-justification, it will be selective and, and, and of, of the scripture and the truth that it wants to see. The trusting yourself makes for a violent commute, but it also leads to the tragedy of traveling alone. And so this is the third thing that makes for a violent commute. Did you notice how every commuter is alone? They're traveling by themselves. Look at verse 30 of Luke 10. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and, and departed, leaving him half dead. Look what happens. This first commuter, he's preyed upon by others who make greed their law. You might say this is an ancient form of road rage. See, tra traveling alone, yeah, you're, you're preyed upon. But then there's a second and a third. Look at verses 32 and 33. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Two more, two more lone travelers. So all three of them are traveling alone. And traveling alone, yeah, see, you're, you're beaten, you're, you're robbed, you're bloody, you're there on the side of the road, but you're passed over by others who, too, are traveling alone. Because you see people, but you cross the street and pass to just to pass by. Has that ever happened to you? You see somebody you know, and you start to move toward, but they turn around and walk the other way. Has it ever, has it ever, maybe you've done that to someone. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, you see, see testing Jesus, trusting yourself, and traveling alone, 
makes you indifferent to the plight of, of other people who are, are commuting in the same direction. Is this individualistic, self-justifying travel shares no concern but its own righteousness, allows the violence to continue, and allows those who are, are victims to live in, in fear and, and to suffer alone. And many have, chose, many have chosen to live their lives this way. Even, even those, even those, even some of us who know the scripture, who know, who know, who know what the Bible says. So, so, but they've chosen to live their lives this way, to know, to know that to commute is violent, but testing Jesus, prove it. Trusting yourself, I'm okay. And traveling alone, they're indifferent to the violent commute. commute. And in that indifference, they're just like the law expert asking, who is my neighbor? You see, these, these are law and order people. They're law and order people. Yet, not really understanding what the law is saying. Something needs to shake them up. Something, something needs to bring them out of the stupor of self-justification. What will, what will awaken them? Mercy. So why the mission of mercy? Point number two. Only, only mercy breaks the spell of trusting in yourself. And the mercy must be shocking. And coming from an unexpected source, taking unselfish action, yielding an unwilling confession. So there's an unexpected source. Jesus turns the story and, and enter the hero. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He said, wait a minute. A Samaritan? Now, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that we get the shock value here at, at this turning point in the story. You know, because, well, because, you know, you have to think about it in our times. So, so, you know, so, so in their time, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And the, you know, the Jews, they, they, in their respect, they were the dominant culture. They hated the Samaritans. Those Samaritans, they were of mixed blood. They had, they had different worship. But, and we've heard this story so much that it's hard to relate to. The shock value is lost. So, Literarily speaking, I think here's, 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 a, here's a story in literature uh, that, well, you don't, you don't see it very much, in a, it's not, and it's not read in schools anymore, but To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, if, you've read, if, you've read, if you've read the book, Tom Robinson in To Kill a Mockingbird, he illustrates how, how shocking this would have been for, to the law expert. Because in the courtroom, in, the, in that scene, in the courtroom, that's full of white people, Lawyers, the judge, the prosecutor, the, the jury, Tom Robinson, a black man, when asked by the prosecutor, Mr. Gilmer, why he helped Mayella Yule, Tom says, well, I felt right sorry for her. She seemed to try more than the rest of them. You felt sorry for her? You felt sorry for her? Mr. Gilmer seemed ready to rise to the ceiling. The witness realized his mistake and shifted uncomfortably in the chair, but the damage was done. Below us, the kids, they were up in the balcony either watch, watching. Nobody liked Tom Robinson's answer. Mr. Gilmer paused a long time to let it sink in. Yeah, I can imagine that, that this law expert did the same thing. He is a, as a Samaritan. 
See, just as it was shocking in Harper Lee's story that a black man should say that he felt pity for a white woman, it's shocking to hear, it was shocking for, for him to hear that the hero of Jesus' story is a Samaritan. How can the despised be the hero? It's an unexpected source through which mercy comes. And then there's unselfish action to care for the fellow traveler. Look at verse 34 and 35. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and, when, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. You see, this Samaritan, he gets his hands dirty. He puts himself at risk by entering the town. Yeah, you know, it had to be odd that a Samaritan would be carrying a Jew who was robbed, beaten, almost dead. You could hear the, the, the suspicion. He must have done it. And then from his own pocket, from his pocket, he pays for the man's time in the room and pledges more if the innkeeper had to spend more on him. Now, as the text says, he was two denarii. So two denarii was the equivalent of two days' wages. Now, that's more than a tithe. So two days' wages. So, so if you're making $20 an hour, you know, and you, and you work 10 hours a day, it's $200 a day. So he gave up $400, as it were. He gave up $400 to pay for, for this man. See, that's an expensive night in a hotel. Uh, so, so, so he, pay, he does this, and he does all of this for a man who wouldn't, under normal circumstances, associate with him. But however, this unselfish act yields an unwilling confession. Look at verse 36 and 37. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And you might ask, well, how do you know that it was an unwilling, that the confession was unwilling? Well, in the expert's reply, he couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan, he could only say, the one who showed him mercy. And you can imagine that his teeth were gritted when he said it. And if that wasn't galling enough, then another slap in the face comes when Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Ouch! You see, he had wanted to justify himself. He wanted approval. He wanted to know how, how in the world, what rules do I follow? And, the, and what are the rules? And so here Jesus tells him, you got to be like this Samaritan. So he wanted to justify himself, but in the end, he's self-condemned. You see, this was not a fair fight. Here's, here's a principle. Never Try to match wits with omniscience. <laughs> you, you don't have enough in your arsenal. I'm kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> no. So why, why the mission of mercy? 
See, it's, it's to break the spell of self-justification. Mercy from an unexpected source displaying unselfish actions yielding an unwilling confession. Mercy like this is radical. It's, it's, it's unconventional. It's counterintuitive. It's meant to heal the brokenness of community. Along the road, along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, among those making the violent commute, the mission of mercy is the reminder that this is not the way it will always be. Hallelujah. Mercy transforms the commute. So what difference does mercy make? Look at, no. So do you, do you think that the man rescued by the Samaritan was ever the same? They had to be written on his, it had to be written on him. Oh, yeah, we know you. Yeah, the Samaritan saved you. He saved your life. And that Jesus prompts a confession out of the expert in the law, the man answers his own questions. See, mercy is bound up in the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You don't love God if you don't love people. And if you love people, you will provide for their needs as if they were your own. I mean, that's, 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 what, that's, what, that, that's what that text is saying. That's what, Deut- what it's saying in, in Deuteronomy and, 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 and in Leviticus and, and as it's quoted here. That's what it's saying. You would provide for their needs. If you love people, you would provide for their needs as if they were your own. See, that's what Psalm 82, in the Psalms, the Psalms are the songs of the law. So, so in the Psalm 82, it's, it, that's what it's teaching about true justification. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, give justice, or you can read righteousness. The words are synonymous in Hebrew. Give, give justice, give righteousness to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted or the abused and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. You see, this is justice. This is righteousness that lays down its life for another. See, that's, that's the justification that God is looking for among humanity. And it's the mercy. It's that mercy that brings the abstract justification of God into reality. He would have, he would, if the lawyer had been paying attention, he would have recognized this mercy is God's way of bringing his righteousness into his life. That's the difference that mercy makes. You see, Jesus ends the story with go and do likewise, but is that the way to inherit eternal life? Did Jesus mislead the man? Well, another expert in the law Later years, he would write, he would pin these words in Galatians 3.21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be, would indeed be by the law. In other words, if eternal life could come through the law, this law would be it. It would be this law. So Jesus was not misleading the man. The parable, the parable judged him. It shows him his need for mercy. Go and do likewise is, not, is a way of saying you haven't been merciful. You haven't loved God or your neighbor. See, if the law expert was honest with himself before God, he would have said to Jesus, 
I cannot love. I cannot love God in this way, in the way that the law demands. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I don't even, I don't even know anyone among my peers who have kept the law, who have obeyed the command. Who can fulfill this law? If he is in honest with himself, that's where he would have, that's where he would have landed. Who can fulfill? Yeah, so see, loving God and loving neighbor are fulfilled only in Jesus Christ. The answer is standing right before him. The Apostle Paul, that other expert in the law, he would conclude in Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Oh, hallelujah. There, the weight of your guilt is gone. The, 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 the sweat and blood that you pour into your religious fervor is gone because of Christ. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that you are justified before God. See, in Christ, God says, approved. You have his approval. Instead of testing Jesus, trust him. He's the end of self-justification. You see, self-justification is always seeking to prove something before God, but you can't work hard enough you can't, or long enough to do what God wants. We're broken right from the womb. And the violence that is done to you and me and our commute comes from the sin that's in the world and the sin that's within us. And the law is indifferent to the violence, and it cannot, it cannot fix what's wrong with us. God, who is the grand says so, who says so, he makes the rules. He makes the rules, and he evaluates how they're kept. And the perfection that the law demands was accomplished for us by Christ on the cross. From his death and resurrection comes our life. You see, the father said to the son, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, and you will live. Christ loved God. In loving us by taking on the death we should have died and living for us the life we should have lived. You know what that means? He's joined us in the violent commute. Hallelujah. Through him, all who are chosen believe and are justified, kept and glorified to the pleasure and delight of the Father of mercies. Hallelujah. See, the difference that mercy makes is that eternal life is now a gift. It's a gift. Therefore, see, you don't, you don't, earn, you don't earn an inheritance, do you? It's, it's yours because you're born into the family. You have that inheritance. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, and so, yeah, this is why family members fight so hard over the inheritance as to who gets what. <laughs> but that's not the case. That's not the case for, for, for believers. You know, this inheritance is, 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 in, is ours, given to us because the Father has made you his child. And it's that, see, that's, how, that's how his mercy transforms us. And then, where is this mercy? Where is this mercy from God taking us? The other difference, another difference that mercy makes is that through the gift of eternal life, our, our, our trajectory has changed forever. Our travel has changed forever. See, before we were going from Jerusalem to Jericho, 
We're going away from God now because of Christ. Our trajectory is now from Jericho to Jerusalem. Hallelujah. See, yeah, and joining the commute, Christ moves us. He moves us on up. I'm hearing that song in my head. We're moving on up. See, Psalm 82, Psalm 82 begins with God in heaven taking his place in the divine council, in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment. He's there. He's there among the principalities and the powers and the rulers. He's there casting judgment upon them. And what's this judgment? So it starts there in heaven, but it ends on earth when, it, when you hear the prayer at the end of the psalm, Arise, O God, judge the earth, and for you shall inherit the nations. You see, the difference mercy makes is that through Christ, we inherit the earth along with him. Hallelujah. So how do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? Is he just a, is he just a teacher? Is he just one more, is he just one more voice among all the religions of, of which you can test it to prove to see which one is right? Who should, who, who should you trust? Or do you see him as the true and good Samaritan who shows you mercy and pain for your justification? When you were left bleeding, robbed, on the side of the road, sin had done you in. And here Jesus Christ has paid for your justification and your healing with his life's blood. When you call on him, he won't pass you by. This mercy has also made us human, uh, he's made us true humanity. Jesus showed us both what he knows and how much he cares. And you heard it's been said, others will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. One authority puts it this way, if I just do my thing and you do yours, we stand in danger of losing each other and ourselves. We are fully ourselves only in relation to each other. The I, detached from a thou, disintegrates. I do not find you by chance. I find you by an active life of reaching out. It's because of the mercy of Christ, the violent commuters are made into community. No longer lonely travelers. We're no longer indifferent to the plight of our fellow travelers, but we're swimming upstream. We're going from Jericho to Jerusalem. We're swimming against the tide. And we actively are, are seeking to bring the mercy of God into their lives. It's no longer who is my neighbor, but instead to whom must I become a neighbor? You know, there are plenty of ways to extend mercy. The four groups of people that Psalm, Psalm 82 talks about, the weak, the fatherless, the abused, the destitute. And if you've received the mercy of God in Christ, then you are a part of this community that is given to mercy. But you see, Christ is God's delight. And if God is delighted in Christ and, and you're in Christ, God is delighted in you. And the delighting in the one in whom God delights, you can never be convicted of being a bad human. Let's pray. Lord, your word is indeed transformative. Oh, Lord, help us. 
like those who were baptized with John's baptism, help us, Lord, to confess that God is just. Help us, Lord, to receive and to embrace your purposes for ourselves and not to reject those like, like the, the Pharisees and, and the, law, the law experts. And make us, Lord, make us that community that transforms and, and is transformed by your goodness, by your grace, having your approval branded on our hearts so that we don't move away from it in whatever it is that we face. For Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, let us respond in faith to the word that God has given us as we sing in Christ, there is no east or west. Let's all stand together and sing. <laughs>